0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Philacrosophy podcast. Really fired up to welcome back my good friend and Virginia head coach, Lars Tiffany. LT, how are we doing, man?
1: Jamie, we are uh, two days away from the opening of preseason training. Uh, the men are starting to roll back into town. Uh, nothing more exciting than this, you know. Let's go. Just, uh, can't wait to get back out there. I know the field's clean. There's no snow on it now, and uh, we got an indoor practice facility if we really, really need to. But we'll we'll be outside as much as we can, and and uh, it's such an exciting time.
0: So sweet, man. And uh, we were talking yesterday about that you're uh, back to back defending champs with a uh, sandwich around a um, a pandemic. So um, <laughs> it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to uh, threepeat, but um, I'm sure you guys are. How are you handling that as a team in terms of not, you know, uh, resting on your laurels and starting, starting anew?
1: It's interesting. when you How do you approach it? How do you talk about it? Well, uh, we're very open about it, whereas my, after the first national championship, we didn't want to talk about it at all. This one we're, we're talking about that we've had the success in 21. And if people want to talk about 3 P, fine, we'll talk about it. We, we'll have some fun with it. We'll call it the 3 P D the three, the three PD Losala. And, uh, and, and so it's a, um, you know, but it's, if, if we can, if we can ensure that the complacency doesn't come in, you know, it's like all mistakes that we make are usually in, in, in life, not just lacrosse, but in everything is usually based on a lack of communication, a lack of preparation. Or a lack of trust or faith in one another. I, I think about those three things are really critical for an organization to be successful. And if we can attend to those three, if we can commit to the preparation, battling, training with purpose, what everyone calls work hard. Um, two, if we can ensure our communication that we're, you know, on-the-field of communication, off-field of communication, which blends into three, the trust and the faith, then um, then there's no, nothing holding us back. And uh, so we're really excited. But so we'll just attend to those three areas and uh, that should, um, you know, that's the primary focus when we get this going, the talents here. um, We've got depth in most spots. Jamie, we've had more depth than I've ever had when we've substituted in our fall scrimmages against team USA, against Penn state, et cetera. Like there wasn't that much of a drop-off. And, um, and so it's really, really a new territory for me as a coach uh, for my years at Stony Brook and Brown and even the first couple of years at Virginia to have this type of depth. And so it's really exciting to see what the competition and practice is going to look like.
0: Yeah, interesting. And are you, what did you do for um, a book this year?
1: Yeah, the book. So we uh, right now the book's coming back as they're supposed to read over break is Phil Jackson's 11 Rings. Um, it's a little pretentious, obviously the name. Um, we've only got two in in, in, in his current era of Virginia lacrosse, but if you look over the history of Virginia, there's seven plus two if you count pre-USILA. Uh, and but really, what I liked about it is Phil Jackson talking about his career and different teams he coached. And and at first, I thought it was more just a book for a coach. And I'm always assessing when people recommend books to me. Okay, is this for me as a head coach? Is this for my captains? Or is this for the team? at large. And, um, at first I thought it would be a great coach book, but the more I went into it, there's some dynamics that so Phil Jackson exposes within the teams of the Chicago bulls, Michael Jordan and so Michael Jordan's relationships with his teammates. And then you go to the, the LA Lakers and Kobe Bryant and his relationship with his teammates and the struggles that they had and what Phil Jackson really focused on. It was, building this community of trust within the team being so critical. I read this and I'm like, you know, this could really be advantageous to us as ensuring. And I, and I see parallels of members of our team with members of the Lakers, uh, more so than the bulls. And, um, you know, and, and granted we're not Shaquille O'Neal or Kobe Bryant, but, but just the dynamics that had to get worked out mm-hmm. before they could be a championship level team. Um, and so I'm, I, you know, so Phil Jackson's 11 rings are the, uh, Uh, That's the book that we're diving into right now. We just finished up Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. That was uh, the fall semester. And I really like that one. I think I would recommend that to other coaches who are thinking about doing this uh, format uh, because it's broken up into nine or 10 chapters. Really easy uh, ability to segment it and focus on one chapter per week or per two weeks and and draw the parallels to your own organization. Um, I think it's really, really well done. So Malcolm Gladwell's fantastic. But yeah, so Phil Jackson, we'll see. This one's a bit of a stretch. It's a long book. We'll see how this goes, but uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see how that works.
0: So Malcolm Gladwell, um, I read that book a long time ago, Outliers. Was that the um, 10,000 hours of deliberate practice was like one of the um, the parts? Was that, or am I confusing books right now?
1: No, you are. You, you've got the right. You've got it right. It was, um, you know, the Outliers is really about the story of success. And then Malcolm Gladwell goes backwards and says to sense, what you think is the reason for success is not really true. And uh, and he exposes other areas so that was the one where you've got the uh uh the ice hockey team you know where he's he and his wife are watching this game and the wife's like wow how come most of these players were born in january and february at mm-hmm. this minor league canadian ice hockey game he went to and so then he dove into that you know the, the birthdays being so critical and now you at eight years old because jamie monroe is six months older than Lars tiffany you get put on the travel team and i don't And so over the next eight years, you've had hundreds of more hours of practice at elite level and, um, and thus you get drafted and, and, uh, I don't, so it was, that was part of it, but it's, it's great too, because it gets into like the semiconductor industry and how luck and just great timing is, has so much to do with this. The story of success of how it's, uh, uh, it bill joy, bill gates, um, Steve Jobs, these guys in a certain era were all born, like within about two years of each other. They just happened to be born at the right place at the right time. And they had access to computers when most people didn't have access to computers in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, the garment industry in New York City in the late 1800s, you know, uh, mostly from Jewish immigrant families who were able to, through a lot of hard work, but had a skill set and you had to be born in a certain time timeframe. Um, and um, But there's just some great parallels you can bring to your team with that book. I, I, was, I wasn't so sure about that book either when we, d- when we started with it, but we had some really good sessions out of it. Um, but, yeah, Malcolm Gladwell does dive into eventually the 10,000 hours and the, ad- the ad- advantage of it.
0: The, um, the 10,000 hours of deliberate practice was something that I think – resonated with so many people when that came out which is probably around what 10 or 15 years ago that came that book came out it's pretty it's not, it's not yeah it's, it's 2010
1: i think it's copyright 2010
0: yeah um and i feel like um it all just made so much sense and and, and like the beatles weren't the beatles like in there yes where you like went to germany and they played so much and um you had um i don't know and, and i people will start thinking about like these these little and crazy environments like uh like Brazil, Brazilian soccer or futsal. And then, you know, you start thinking, obviously, of box lacrosse. Um, but I sent you an article yesterday by Raymond Verheim. Um, and, and you did respond to my text. I'm assuming you read it. Did you yes. read the article? Yeah. Um, titled something like, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to actually check it out because I, I, I keep that thing. I, I, I've read it like 10 times, Lars, in, in, in like the last... I read it three years ago the first time. I've like, read it 10 times in the last like week. Yeah, isolated, isolated training. technique training. Slows down football development. Right. And it's so fascinating when you think about this. And it's, it's, it's actually the exact opposite of deliberate. You know, it, it, forget about the hours, but the deliberate practice part um, is very different from what Raymond Verheyen is saying, and it makes so much sense. And so for people that are wondering, what, what, what is he saying? I'll, I'll read this to you really quickly. The, the gist of it is about executing a decision by verbally or non-verbally communicating with their surrounding players, collect information about teammates, opponents, etc. Based on this information, players make a decision. Next, they have to execute the decision with their technique. So technique in football, meaning soccer, means executing a decision, not just executing a technique, like in, for example, gymnastics. For a sport such as gymnastics, the technical execution is the objective. The gymnast receives points for moving his body in an ideal way from A to B in football or lacrosse. On the other hand, players receive points for moving the ball from A to B with B being the goal of the opponent or the of the opponent. Therefore, the technical component is just a means to execute a decision. And I, I find this so interesting, this whole article and this whole concept. And what it's really saying is that you, you can't really separate the technique from the decision. And if you are, what are you actually working on? And it's such an interesting concept. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, now, it, it it's, it's a great example to point out that the technique in and itself is critical for certain sports um and certainly gymnastics is a great example because the judges are literally watching the technique you use nobody cares how you pass that football to the wide receiver if you get that ball to the foot wide receiver and it's a touch right right it's great you got it there
0: but this but this football was actually soccer
1: sure that is true <laughs> it took me a little while to figure it out in that article
0: okay. but
1: uh but yeah and it's and in you and I have talked about this in the past. Like, we what is what define fundamental? Define you know what fun, the fundamentals of the game of lacrosse should be. Yeah, you know, and essentially you were challenging. Like, why is that a fundamental? Yeah. Why, why why can't is it you?
0: Or why does it have to be that way? Like,
1: yeah, is ever dub
0: Knight? Oh Doug yeah, Knight was Doug Knight was as prolific of a score as you could ever want to have in the history of the sport, much less UVA lacrosse, and. He was kind of ugly sometimes the way he played. He didn't do anything (laughs) by the book. There was nothing fundamental in the way he played, except for the fact of the fundamental of putting the ball in the net. Exactly. (laughs) I just love that we had that
1: one session, you and I, you challenged, well, what are the fundamentals? And I just had never really challenged the sort of a foundational definition of fundamentals. You know, maybe I think about like the, the godfathers of the game of lacrosse where I grew up, Mike Messier, for example, and Tom Hall, or whatever they said was Fundamental. That's a fundamental, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was just easy to go by those as guidelines. Um, but I really enjoyed the fact that you challenged that and, uh, and think about it because we're eventually we're just thinking about the, what the result is. And obviously the decision making within that that comes in with the free play with the type of drills that you've encouraged many people, including myself, to set up. Um, as opposed to the one on none or the three on none, um, where you're just going through a, you know, some sort of predetermined in a coach's brain, what this should look like.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. I mean, I read that, like I said, I read that article probably two or three years ago for the first time. And then I just popped it up and reread it. And I have reread it probably like five or 10 times in the last couple of days. And just like really thought through what he's saying, I thought through the truth of it all. And I think the thing is, is this, is that for, for the guys on your team, when they're home over break, they they can go sharpen their skills and, and, you know, dodge a cone, shoot on empty nets, sharpen their skills and actually get ready for practice because, but they, but Matt Moore knows how to shake a defender. So therefore he can actually consciously work on it against a cone, knowing how a defender would react. Whereas someone who's learning how to do it.
1: Interesting. cannot not
0: learn it against a cone. Because it's not just the technique, it's the decisions that are going on are about timing. They're about timing. They're about where you're looking. They're about what you, you know, the the, the speed at which you're approaching them relative and the distance from them is all a huge part of the decision making that you can't emulate unless you do it against a person. And then the harder part isn't even the one on one, but it's all the other defenders and people that are in your way that are making a huge difference. You know, I always joke that I I would like to get bracelets for the athletes I work with that say WWPSD. What would Pat Spencer do? (laughs) Because Pat Spencer was literally so keenly aware of everything and the decisions that he made were all relative to the whole defense, never his man. He could beat his man kind of whenever he wanted to and he did it in certain ways on purpose relative to what Lars Tiffany was going to try to do to stop him that day. And when he's playing Penn State and he looks up and sees the backs of a lot of helmets, he goes hard to the net and scores with speed. And when he sees, you know, Syracuse basically showing all the time, he gets just close enough that he's going to shred you. With skip passes. Exactly. And and, and, and it's just amazing to think, but that's what decision making is. And I was thinking about this, that free play, which can come in many forms I want to chat with you about, um, is what it teaches you the things that you learn the things that can't be taught. The stuff that can be taught are easy. Everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. Everybody does it. The stuff that you can teach, everyone reps it out. You know, all the techniques and stuff. Everybody can do those. Question is, can you do them in a game against defense, which comes down to how you set it up, how you read it, and the decisions you make to get there along the way, in the confidence part too, which is huge.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really interesting when you talk about dodging a cone, which could help a map more because he's got a wealth. He has his experience. He has a history, and understanding that this cone could represent a defenseman, um, you know, who's taking away his left hand or taking yeah. away, you know, who, who lunges at, who, who throws a poke check. And it's interesting how you, you're right, you can recreate the story in your mind. It's just historical or something futuristic in your head, what you're doing with it. Whereas for the new person, why are you telling me step left, step hard with my right, spin this way? What is this doing to me? I don't understand why I'm doing this.
0: <laughs> or you just do it and then you try it against somebody. If you do a rocker move three feet too far away from somebody, it doesn't do anything. You have to be close enough for a HESI to work, right? So right. Proximity. And there's all these details that go into it. I see Grant amet doing all kinds of awesome, like jabs, you know, um, coming out of speed ladders and it's cool. Um, yeah. I know he knows how to do it. So it's no big deal. But you get somebody else, it's a little bit harder. Think about how about two man game. You know, you think about two man game where you work on like two VO pick and rolls um, of any kind, slip, picks, you know, whatever you want to call it. But the fact is the whole key to two-man game is understanding how they're playing it so you can get yeah. it, how to get an advantage. And, and, and the amazing thing about two-man game on ball and off ball is it doesn't really matter how well the defense plays it. If you know what you're doing, you can get an advantage. You can get two on one. If you want to fight over a pick, you still have to guard me to the net. So so if I can keep you thinking I might go to the net. I can get a step towards the pick. And once I have the step towards the pick and you're fighting over it, I can probably put you in a trailing position. And if you overplay me that badly, then I probably will just refuse the pick, right? Yeah. That is what the reads are all about. And if you're going to go under a pick, well, then we're going to set that thing close enough that I can shoot it. And if you're going to switch the pick, well, then we're going to slip it and, and move the ball. And the point is, it's the reads, that are the upside and it's true with every part of the game is reading your man it's feeling it it's it's not even thinking about it it's recognizing it and and it's 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 recognizing a slider coming to you that you're not going to run right into right and it's like you know how do you practice a re-dodge against a cone if you've never understood how to bring a slider a little bit to you and then make them go away and then get them make them late all of this stuff is relative to context
1: Yes, oh, the, the context is so critical. And so then as coaches, <clears throat> the key, as we, you know, as we enter a preseason lacrosse here at UVA and we've got a game in a little over three weeks, is how can we create those decisions within that context without beating up Connor Schellenberger and Matt Moore too much? So can we create these 2v2s you know, and put the defenseman no sticks or nubs or whatever? Because you're right. We just want to – I don't need to review split dodging with my attack. You don't, you don't. Uh, it's refining those those decisions within those small spaces of the 2v2 two two and the slides, a half slide, fake slide, the Jason slide, crease slide, cross crease slide. um and certainly with the two man game, you know, are they fighting through that pick? Is it a do, is a double pick? Is it a hedge? Is it a backside double? You know, how many how can I get 100 reps of that without risking the health of our attack.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And and so we we've kind of talked about this on a podcast before. It's me that's that's the advantage of, you know, playing with against all shorts, like you said, like, you know, you can you can do all that stuff and have everybody use shorties and people aren't in, on smaller nets with less pounding and more passing and more two man and you're probably going to get a little bit less pounding. Right. Um, of course, you can do it with like like with the no equipment piece. Um, that's that's a beauty of kids doing it because, you know, sure. you can play no equipment for 75 straight minutes and um, you'll get endless reads endless opportunities to influence and read um you know but but going super hard is really important too you just can't sustain it like you said like you know it's like tony holler says don't burn the stake you know if you go that (laughs) hard every day you're going to get guys injured and and um it's just it's interesting and you can you can recreate these free play situations in practice by simply making them competitive we talked about this the, the definition of game like did we talk about that
1: i don't know Tell me.
0: Well, so game like everybody uses the word game like myself included. And and the way I kind of thought of it was recreating something that happens in a game and usually having it be a smaller part of it. Um, And I I think there's that is one part of it, of the word game like. But there's nothing more game like than not having coach control. Hmm. Coach control immediately makes it less game like. The more you control it, the more it feels good. The more it looks good. The more you feel like you're accomplishing something because you're actually like getting a result that you wanted. But the less game-like it is, because in a game, as a coach, you have very little control. Now you might have some control with your voice on your end in some games. On the other end, you have very little right. area, um, and it depends. You know, I don't know what it's like in the Final Four, LT, but chances are people can't really hear you as much as you want them to. Right. Um, but the idea, though, is, is that the players have to be able to think it through themselves. And one of the ways that's what free play is, it's, it's game like because there's no one telling you what to do, what not to do. And you got to figure it out. Um, the consequence is losing, you know, and that's why. That's why to me playing. In with context and playing in competitive situations where you let it play out, you don't blow the whistle and stop it. You let that ground ball play out, you figure it out you make the mistakes. And then of course you use film to do your teaching.
1: That's a really good point. I know I, I've thought about that as I'm, you know, Mondays or Friday, I'm in control Saturday. I'm not the referees in control, but he's not even, you know, but just from, you know, an officiating perspective, you know, not in terms of was that a good slide scheme or a good shot or a good decision there. And, um, and so can I rec- recreate, you know, a better game atmosphere with how I blow the whistle, you know, how often or how infrequent I blow that whistle. Um, And it's, those are the hardest ones, aren't they? Those are the most challenging ones because you've got something you want to point out right then and there, Yeah, you know, and it seems so valuable, such a good teaching moment as we call ourselves. Yeah. So I I guess what I would tell the listeners, I'm not saying you can't have, you can't blow the whistle sometimes. There's definitely those moments you got to blow it, make your point. If it could be a positive thing, like, oh my God, that was an incredible, Look at that. Look at that cross crease slide, second slide down the back side. That was amazing. But the more you swallow the whistle per se, you know, and, uh, and just let it free flow. You know, I, I looked at our team last year. I was just watching film getting ready uh, for the, for our upcoming season. Our first two opponents are uh, air force and high point, you know, and starting to watch film on those teams. And I didn't think we dealt well with pressure when the ball went down in our defensive end right away, you know, whether it was a goalie save or a turn or a check stick and And I'm sitting there thinking, was I the problem when we were doing 66 Did I blow the whistle as soon as the ball went on the ground? Probably, you know, so I'm making a note to myself this, you know, starting January 14th, you know, Lars, try not to blow the whistle as soon as the shot is taken, let the ball go to the clear.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, um, it, it depends on the emphasis, but at least let the ground ball play out either to possession or clear it out of the box. Or if you really want to clear it, you know, you can clear it, but But I do think there's some value in that, you know, because like a lot of the ways that you're going to be at your best is making those plays. Yes. On both sides of the ball too. And also, you know what? There's nothing better than letting people lose to learn, you know, you make something competitive and you know, they, 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 they they lose not doing what you wanted them to do rather than win theoretically by you stopping it and making them do it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, then they do some push-ups, or they just lose, which sucks. And uh, nobody wants to lose, you know, at the level you're at. And and, um, and then let the film do the teaching. Because the truth is, that's the key. The film is where they actually fully will understand it anyways. In real time, a lot of times they actually don't know exactly what you mean. And it might be because in real time, though, they're like so pissed off at something they can't even hear you. Or they're so happy, yeah. they're, so, they're worried about something or whatever it is, you know, that's just everybody. That's 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 the mindfulness piece. But but in film, when it's like a clip and they're on their own and you text someone a clip and they can watch it on their phone in their own time, they can absorb it and completely understand it in a way um, that, is, that is very different from in real time. When what percentage of people can't hear you for whatever reason of something they're thinking about?
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I feel for the coach who, does not have extensive high school coach doesn't jv coach doesn't have a whole lot of extensive film and this is his moment to teach it is right now you know but even so you know blow the whistle sometimes but the more yeah. try not to blow it as much yeah no doubt
0: there's there's time just make the it.
1: mental note make the mental note i'm trying to make mental notes and then you know next two minutes there's three more mental notes and i've forgotten the first one for sure you know but uh, <laughs> but the film we're lucky to have the access to the film
0: well, I want to give everybody a film solution because I've coached uh la- last year I coached a high school girls team and um I just I filmed the whole practice on my phone and stood on a little step ladder to give myself a tiny little bit of elevation. Okay? And I was able to send everybody, you know, 3 to 6 clips a day of film. On your phone. <laughs> you don't need somebody to do it. Or you hand yeah. some kid and be like, "Hey, I I need you to do this for a minute." Usually I do that if I had to play. But but you see the value of the film is so massive for the two reasons that we just said, by letting them play and not blowing the whistle. And then because it's really the best way for them to learn it, that it is it is such a no-brainer to use. your. And phones these days are amazing. Um, the hardest part really would be the time factor of going through film. Uh, but for me, luckily, that's all I do is think about watching film and think about lacrosse and talk about it with guys like LT. So. Um,
1: I can remember, and I've said this before, you got me to watch more practice film. talked to you about 10 years ago when I was a Brown, and you asked me, Do I watch film or practice? I'm like, No, I already watched, I already saw saw practice once. I was there. (laughs) And uh, um, now we watch a lot of practice film, and it's really advantageous. And to be able to use it, um, you know, let's say Tuesday's practice, and then Wednesday during the day, watch practice, maybe watch 40, 30, 40 minutes of it or so, pick out some clips, and then the film session, you know, which might be 10, 15 minutes long but it's just get those key clips and then bang, do it again. Thursday, watch some clips, put Thursday afternoon with, with the men, watch 10 or 15 minutes of those clips. Such an advantage.
0: I, I, I really, I really liked the model of uh, not doing film sessions, but rather sending clips because I feel like uh, when it's on their time, they can focus on it and they can focus on it for a minute. And you get them to focus on it for a minute, like five or five times a day. And you basically get them what they need. Whereas in the whole group, again, you never know what's on their mind at that moment in time, where are they really taking it in or not taking it in? Sure. And I feel like you can scale it. And I'm not saying I would never do it if I were you, but I am saying that um, I, I really like that model because it's how they, are, it's how it's how that's kids and everybody are, are taking in information. Like if you sent me a clip on my phone, I would watch it. And I'd watch it again, and I'd watch it again, and I'd read your thing. And I would in that minute or 90 seconds, I would really take it in. And if you say you do that three times a day, then that's going to be like 21 times a week. And then all of a sudden, in four weeks, it's 80 times and in 10 weeks, it's a lot, right. And so it's, um, it, it actually can give you and it's, it can be fun. It can be like just a funny clip. It could be a teaching clip. It could be a, a scout clip, you know, whatever it is. And it can be very individualized as opposed to when you do your team stuff and everyone's there, it's, you know, it might even be relevant to somebody, but it's very relevant to this other person. So, right.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We we had this philosophical debate in our office. And I remember Sean Kerwin, he was adamant. I want to. I want everyone together when we do film stuff. and Because I, I remember some of the, the technology was coming out about Eight years ago or so like oh you could just send these clips to them individually and but i i'm listening to you too jamie and it it really makes sense because we're addicted to our phones now and you know obviously the film quality has gotten so good we're not just flipping our phones open anymore trying to watch this grainy thing like there's really good quality up right on our handheld devices and so yeah there's probably a lot of advantage doing it the way you're doing it too
0: well i think getting everybody together is great too i don't think it's bad or anything i just i just think that it might be a little more efficient
1: and COVID safe. You know, you gotta always be thinking about that these days. There you go. Seth. Holy cow. Trying to figure out meeting space and how big a space you need. And
0: yeah, that's the main reason you should just do that. <laughs> 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 Stay outside, <laughs> man. Stay outside. Um, all right, switching gears. A lot of teams are not going behind the net on big littles with the Pickers, man. And you play a lot of coma. Yes. Anyway, isn't it pretty much kind of like the same thing? Just
1: Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. If, if there's a two offensive players behind and I only have one defender go back there and I keep the other defender, the off-ball defender, above the goal, ready to slide, it's essentially a cross-cray slide, you know. Um, we like going back there, though. Um, we've debated it, and once in a while we will stay above. But I like pressure on hands. I like being aggressive. I like the communication. Let's say you're the on-ball defender. It's harder for you to hear my voice if I'm the off-ball defender, if I'm above the goal about what that pick's coming on your left, pick's coming on your right, and what I want you oh, to yeah. do with that pick. No doubt. So I like you know, what we do with our communication system on defense. is so predicated on the off-ball defender dictating much of what's going to happen that I need his voice near where the pick actually happens. Um, so for the we have stuck to our decision of saying you know what we're gonna have two defenders behind the goal if there's two offensive players behind the goal but i do understand and see some really good defenses not do that and you are a little more buttoned up in terms of slides you know that the off-ball defender isn't cut up with a pick but can actually be the slide if you want to slide cross crease can can it keeps him above the goal you know an offensive coach may say hey we got two defenders behind the goal right now with this two man game. Um, let's do a pick. And even if they deal with it, well, move the ball up top. It's 44 for two seconds. Um, and so I know what they're trying to do, but it's a um, yeah, for us, we just, I like pressure behind the goal. I don't want an offense to be able to sit there and have their hands free and be comfortable. Um, and I want to be able to challenge those picks. And I guess the last thing is we do picks as a defense. I, when I say daily, probably accurately would be 95% almost daily. We do five to 10 minutes of pick play. And we weren't doing that 10, 15 years ago mm-hmm. because obviously yeah. the offense changed. And so we do picks and, and uh, we, we pride ourselves on being able to deal with most picks. Well,
0: all right. I want to come back to that. Um, the, I, I totally agree. I think getting pressure is great. Obviously when somebody has to slide to your two men, it Leaves three on four in front. Whereas if you slide from this coma type of two-man defense, then <clears throat> big littles, then it's you know, it's a it's it's four to five in front. The only the, the only thing that uh, I think is interesting is I, I tried this when I was Dave Huntley's defensive coordinator four years ago for the Atlanta Blades. Okay, did it against Rob Pennell and Jordan Wolfe because we couldn't really guard Jordan Wolf anyways, he was just running by everybody, It's just like <laughs> why slide. You know, another person to him when we could just like try to get him to pass it to somebody. And then with Rob Pennell, it was kind of the same thing, except for the fact also, though, that he's such a good feeder and he probably didn't want to throw it to X. And so, therefore, it's like, all right, well, you want to throw it to a mini back there? Go for it. Otherwise, we're going to kind of keep people in front of the net. We're going to have, we're going to keep more people in front of the net and still slide to you, right? Fewer people in front of the net and have to slide to you. Um, And so, um, thoughts on that?
1: Those are things. Sometimes you do get the feeder. He's such a good lacrosse player. He's not going to make the smart one more ball that gives him a Gretzky, aka a hockey assist. He wants the real lacrosse assist, and so he's going to look in the crease or look through the crease to the backside, and maybe not even throw the one more up the up the side. We used to do that. Now, when I was at Brown, when he was coming around from Max, let's say he's coming around the left side, the goal is outside. We would slide from the top left defender down. Yeah. Um yeah, a defensive midfielder up there, sometimes right into his face, or we'd wait till he turned his back. But either way, we knew he didn't want to make the smart, easy look. He wanted to make the great look that he could make. Right. Um, and so I do understand what you're saying there is maybe when you are going against a Wolf or a Pinnell, you know, let's just keep as many defenders above the goal, take care of the crease and take care of everything above it. Um and um so there's there's, you know, I see Coach Tierney at Denver doing some. Yeah, of they this do it a lot they doing it quite a bit and some other good, really good coaches are too, but we just feel more comfortable getting the pressure on it on to people back there, communicating through the picks back there. And if we do have to slide, I like to slide. This is a challenge from that off ball defender. Not only are you dealing with a pick, but you are the cross crease. slide guy. even though you're behind the goal, you yeah. are the cross crease. I love that. Sneak right um, up on them. Sneak up on the backside. Yeah. What we call bulldog. Um, You know, we have our, uh, you know, because you do it's a backside double. Um, so it's a um, so we like to bulldog some of those picks as well. Um, and make the guy, you know, make that great look to somebody who can't score behind the goal. And then depends from there if we have to rotate or not. So yeah. um, but yeah, I just I just don't like seeing somebody behind the goal with his hands free looking here and looking there and and um
0: but you don't mind getting hung up that bad or you wouldn't slide coma because at the end of the day, if they're right behind the net and you're hung up. You know they don't have anything angle-wise that's going to you know if you draw draw the angle it's a little uh, you know sort of a triangle-looking thing that goes outside the pipes to the wings.
1: Yeah, they can't they just the
0: re- got the goalie there. Yeah.
1: You just reminded me we got to make sure we work on hung. We work we we try to work on hung. We probably never we probably don't do it enough, but we have our certain rules with our goalie and defender and what we want to do with it. That's another debate. You know, some teams just stand there defensively, just stand there. Goalie and a goal, defender standing top of the crease, and just wait for the offense to initiate. Um, we've split the we've we've hedged it. It depends on how much time's on a shot clock. Um, for us, it's about twenty seconds. If there's twenty seconds or less on the shot clock, we will stay above the goal uh, with the defender and the goalie just stay right in the crease. If it's more time than that, we like to flush it. And so now the goalie will pick a pipe. The defender whose man is behind, hung, who's hung us up, will pick the other pipe. And then we'll try to chase them out of it. Um, and but I know there's some coaches who say just let them stand back there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I hate having someone's hands free back there, comfortable. So I guess I wonder. Cons- I
0: would love to see the stats of how many goals are scored from their hands free, combined with the clock killed versus yeah. versus the times you actually get scored on.
1: It's a really good question because I'm making decisions based on subjective feelings right you know i don't have the data i don't nothing I've people been able to. have screw handle.
0: it up all the time where they like the and doesn't step out enough and they dunk it on them or whatever like you know it's not like it can't be done but it's more kind of like are there stats to back up that you actually get scored on that much because what i'm saying is is that sticks to the outside shots those are the same shots you don't slide to mm-hmm. I mean, if you're pretty good at like you know they can't score in the middle because your goalie's going to knock all that down. It's going to be on the. It's going to be on the wings, and yeah, it's going to happen. But I, I don't know. I just don't see it happen that much. And I. I do see people get scored on where they, where they kind of screw up their their defense. Um, and yeah, again, the goalie takes like, a bad like,
1: angle, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's a time factor, because there's only so many things you can spend time on.
1: Yeah, but again, you make a good point. Because we are a cross-crease sliding team, we do get hung up a decent amount. And so we practice it. And at this point, we go with about 20 seconds. We just look at the South as our metrics for deciding whether we flush it or not. But, you know, uh, I, I don't have the data to show. No, all right. You know, and it's interesting. You know, I think I look at Frank Federico at Bucknell and how innovative he's been and how such a great coach and what he's done. And, you know, he's made the decision. If it's six on six in some sort of post-transition um, moment, and he's on defense, but one of the guys on defense is an offensive player. I'm just going to sprint that guy out and give you a six on five for five seconds. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's done the analytics and done the data and been like, you just, the odds of you scoring in those five seconds, you know, are just not high enough. um, Even though I've given you this temporary advantage. Um, And uh, I bet he is a guy. So yeah, some of these decisions, There's some analytics behind, but I I can admit on the hung, do you flush it or do you stay above? Yeah. There's no analytics there.
0: (laughs) Can you, can you dive and jam it around from behind and hit the pipe with your stick? Are you allowed to do that? I can't remember what the rules are for diving in division one. Yeah. I
1: don't know if you can follow through and hit the, uh, hit the pipe. Um, I know the
0: the pros, we were a little more worried about, I mean, uh, about that factor.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess you would have to, the the referee would have to have seen the ball go in the net across the line and then hear the pipe being hit. And it would just, it'd be easy to assume that you you sort of used the pipe of the goal as a lever for the, your shaft to then release the ball. So I think you got to try to avoid hitting that pipe as a shooter.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Hey, back to the thing you're talking about, we're spending so much time on two man game defense. Um, yes, yeah, love to talk about that. But what? First of all, um, what are the challenges for defenders in doing this? Why is it so hard to be like, hey Lars, pick coming left, and and then you execute whatever it is you're doing?
1: Yeah, well, there's certainly um, the guys we're getting from high school. Um, there may be one way to play picks. And we're asking them to play it several different ways here. So the, the first part is the amount of experience they have coming from high school. And I, I, could, I could admit it, it's, it's difficult to add to all the different things and the ways you want to play it. Um, unfortunately, there's less basketball being played with our recruits, at least not at a high level uh, varsity basketball because every sport wants their kid year round. Soccer wants them year round basketball wants them year round, and you get so much to deal- You deal so much with picks. Do you want to deal with picks? Watch basketball practice, watch a basketball game. Those guys are experts at picks because it's picks the entire time on ball and off ball. Um, and so I think there's, there's, there's a lot to be learned when it comes from when we get you as a first year as a freshman. Um, we're seeing multiple different types of picks, whether it's going to be a clip where you come up the backside, like football, you call a clip, blocking, block, blocking someone from behind, which is obviously illegal. But we call a clip being a pick where you come up someone's backside. So it's difficult to see that. we got to react to those versus a flank, like an army flanks another army you know, coming from the side. Uh, a typical what we might think of as a pick. So approaches and how to deal with those, that takes a lot of work. And then we just feel like certain teams we want to keep matchups against and certain teams we don't care about matchups. And so we want to be able to get through certain picks and we want to be able to, you know, and certain teams, let's just switch picks and recognize in a distinction if I'm a short stick team maybe versus a long stick, what the difference and how we play these things are different as well. So I will tell you, it's two. the communication is not only are we getting through the pick, are we switching the pick, are we doubling the pick, but also – we're experimenting with who tells the on-ball defender to go over the pick if they're trying to get through it or under the pick if they're trying to get through it. You know, most part, we've allowed the on-ball defender to do it himself, but we're experimenting now with the off-ball defender saying, I can see it'll be easier for you to go under this pick, or I see that you've been able to cross-check your man off of, and he can't use a pick so you can stay above it, you know, over, under. Um, So, we're just doing a lot of different things. And, um, and we're experimenting with where we stand, again, because the offense is throwing so many different things at us. You know, the Razor picks, Razor picks are so popular these days, come out of that corner. And we feel we've come up with a system of playing them differently than we play most other picks, just because of the angle on the field um, and how offense, like if I'm an offensive player and you're coming out of that deep corner, as, a, as an offense, as my teammate, and okay. you've got the ball, Jamie, you're dodging and I'm your teammate setting this pick. And I see that the defender wants to go underneath me yep. to my back. If I just keep backing up, he keeps backing up above the goal line. And now you have your hands free and you could get to X and hung us up, or you might be able to dodge and dive underneath, you know, and, and get some things there. So it's like, Oh gosh, the way we normally play picks doesn't work there. So we got to play picks different versus razors than we do versus other types of picks. So, um, there's just so much out there. So, and then it depends where the pick is on the field. Is it inside what we call the red zone or is it outside away from, you know, 12 yards from the goal. And, um, and so we have we have different rules there. So we're just, you know, we're we make it complex, but we spend a lot of time on it. And so I think we can understand the complexity. Um, you know, it's a debate, you know, I'm reading a Nick Saban book, um, and just going through this about how, if, if you know, do you dumb it down, dummy it down, but you know, reading about Saban, he feels like if you teach it correctly, if you make it more complex, they will rise. The men in your, in your, in your locker room, in the meeting room, on the field will be able to understand it and rise to it. And then you can be, they can fall back onto those things when they see different things throughout the game. Um, and so I've I've witnessed that. If we give it enough attention, if we ask a great deal of our men and make it more complex, but we give it the a right amount of training, then um, it's making us better.
0: So there's four basic ways to play it. Stay and go under, stay and go over, switch it or double it.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. With the,
0: with the stay under and over, whereas some people might say, hey, we're going to play the ball like there's no pick there. And we're going to go over everything. If we run into it, we'll switch. Whereas other people might say we're going under. Um, you guys are sort of giving that leeway to figure it out, which I think is really smart because I mean, listen, if you're way out, you might want to go under it. <laughs> and if you're tighter, you might have to go over it. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and the picker pickers, man can see it. They can. not Get under. You got it. Get under. Get under. You're good. Push out, push out. You can kind of see it. However, yeah, exactly. Um, and the double team, the double team is fun. You guys are great at it, by the way. I mean, everybody who's listening to this, uh, man, watch the way Virginia kind of won the game on that double team against Carolina, I think. It's like one of the last plays of the game, you guys stepped out on a pick and it was just something you guys had done a million times in practice. And, and that, I would say the double team is probably the least natural and the hardest thing to get people to be able to do because if one guy doesn't do it, it's not a double. Which means that the Pickers man's gotta see it coming and be stepping out and the on-ball guy can't be backing off and thinking about going under. They gotta like bookend it in order to be a double.
1: Yeah, if, if if you want the last possession of the semifinal game in the 2021 final four, when us versus North Carolina, there's multiple picks set and um and uh, you know, we all you know under the t- context, of course, that we won that game, so I like watching that film. But I, I certainly watch more game film with teams we lose to. But watching that set twenty seconds and seeing how we deal with the picks, um, you know, I was really, I was really happy with obviously the way we played that. You know, we got through the first two picks. The first pick was, was relatively easy, and then Dave Metzbar really crafted up a nice play where he snuck in the second pick, and Cole Caster, number thirty nine, our freshman on ball, barely got it through it helped by the fact he's 6'7", and he reached his stick out. Um, and so Cole Kastner was able to defend the first two picks. And then from there, the ball rotates over to uh, Chris Gray and um, give Chris Merle, um, who uh, played for us. Uh, he, he jumped that. He jumped that. And that's a decision that he made in a moment with eight seconds left that would have been easier for him to say, you know what? We've got Cade Soustad, a long on Chris Gray. I'm a short stick defender, big little pick. I should probably just marry up and get this guy through. I don't want to switch on to this. But he uh he reacted to the situation. He knew where on the field it was. And uh and that one our, near the red zone, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, and I think he read. He made a decision. He made like you were talking about earlier when we first started about this, you know, are, are you playing, uh, you know, and it's, it's hard to teach the two man game without context of a defense. You know, it's hard to play teach two man defense without a context of the offense. You know, he saw Cade Soustad's trying to get above the pick and he saw Cade Soustad most likely getting picked off. And so he jumped it and, uh, he smashed it. And, and so it's a, um, yeah, so I will tell you, we spend a lot of time on it, um, and uh, much more than ten or fifteen years ago. And it's just a part of our daily, daily routine. And um, and we're still not, uh, you know, we still have progress to make. But um, that communication is so critical to what we do.
0: The picking that's going on, I think, is just going to scale and scale and scale, and it's going to turn into on-ball and off-ball simultaneously. The on-ball not- stuff, you know, as a one-shot deal, isn't too hard to deal with. Where it gets hard is when it's nonstop. Exactly. And it gets a lot harder. And here's where it gets really hard. You get you deal with the first one, we swing it to the other side and do a pass down, pick down over there, and you bust your ass to get in. And then they swing it back. And now you're approaching at the hashes. And you're doing it all on an approach. Yep. Um, and you keep doing that over and over again. And you got off ball. Seals, slips, and picks going on. Yeah, which
1: you, you've I've, over the years, I've really watched some great things that you've done with that, and more and more people are doing some really cool things with that. I Actually, had a dinner, um, had sort of a, a, a my own coaching tree dinner uh, in December at the coaches' convention in Florida. Um, so, invited a bunch of guys who've been my assistant coaches, who are still assistants, who are now head coaches, and and um, and it was a lot of fun. Some great food, a couple cocktails, but um, I said, hey, you know, bring bring a funny quote. But bring a new drill you got, and um, let's talk some X's and O's too while we're doing this. And uh, um, one, of the, well, somebody had them in Monroe drill, and it was about you know a little two-man game over here. But the off-ball the other side is two-man, so it's really four versus four. So you got a two-man on-ball, and you got a little two-man gun off-ball on this side of the field, and and then you swing the ball over, and and this things you're doing off-ball, you know, those exchanges, those cuts, and uh, some really cool things you've done. And um, yeah, it's getting more and more complex. I wonder, will lacrosse ever evolve? Will field lacrosse ever evolve to towards a little bit towards box lacrosse and what basketball allows with the moving screen, the moving pick? Like it's interesting, basketball doesn't wear pads, where you can't hit people, but you can be moving. Whereas lacrosse, we're, you know, I think a little tougher. We got helmets on, we slashed each other. But man, if I do this, oh, moving back. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I wonder if we'll evolve. And if we do evolve,
1: then the pick games is going to keep growing more and more in popularity.
0: I got a secret for everybody on, uh, on, on how not to get called.
1: No, yeah. What do you got?
0: The secret is don't set the pick too close. You got to set a pick as if you're approach, you approach a pick kind of like you're approaching on defense. You got to give yourself a little bit of a cushion so you can figure out where they're going so you can adjust and be in the right spot and not move. And when you slip it, of course, it's no issue. And when they're going under picks, they're avoiding you. It's pretty much when they're going over picks, that has got to make sure you know where you want to be. But the reason why you want to set it far enough away is when they are going under, you can move. Yeah. Can move when they get there, but you got time to, sh- to, and good, good pick setters do that, right? They, sh- they, they shuffle, step over a couple and make the guy go. If they're going under the pick and I'm I'm three and a half, four yards away, whatever, and I and I shuffle a couple steps to my one direction or the other. I just made you go farther around it. Yes. And that's kind of what you were talking about on the Razor pick where they're backing up. It's kind of the same thing. Exactly. And, and, and that is, and then if they're you know, if they're going over the pick, you want to set it in the right spot, but you don't actually want to overset the pick because if you don't really want to run somebody into a pick. Not only what you give him a concussion, but you you give yourself a concussion, but but you also, you'd rather chip the guy and not have him, and in, 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 in be in this permanently trailing position than actually run into you where it's an automatic obvious switch. Now the, the advantage you could get would be a matchup, but you lost the advantage of two on one. So if you're guarding me LT and I bring you over a pick and you get chipped, you've committed to going over, you're still on my back. Somebody right, and has an off-ball defender. It. Somebody exactly. has a double. It's a double now. Then, yeah.
1: No, we see that too. And then the off ball defender is like, did Lars get through that pick or did he not get through that pick? Well, that was the play
0: that, that, you know, in in the semifinal game. I mean, the guy got chipped. He was trailing. He wasn't going to catch up. And the guy made an aggressive jump. You know, if he had just kind of switched it, which is what most people would have recognized I needed to do a little bit later, then Chris Gray would have made a play. Exactly. But it still, because it would have been a double that would have been a slow, uh, a, a slow developing double. His guy yeah. wasn't catching up and the midi was going to take an angle that was more ahead of him a little bit later. And Chris Gray would have been able to throw it to somebody that would either score or throw it to somebody that was going to score. But, but the idea though is, is that, you know, the, even against with bad officiating, the reason why most people miss or set moving picks is they set them too close.
1: You don't right. want to set
0: them close. And if That's they're- interesting. If they're switching, then you slip it anyway. But if they're staying, set it far enough away where you can adjust and make them go farther under you, or set it just right for the guy to bring him, bring you over the, bring his defenseman over the top. Where now, that guy's got chipped and he's in a permanent. He's committed, no turning back. Once you commit to going over and you get chipped, you're not catching up. Just like that play where your shorty jumped the pick. Yep. Obviously, jumping right. a pick would be a good thing to do there. Uh, but if you don't, you're screwed. Yeah. No,
1: it's interesting you talk about because we do we play a, a couple teams, one in particular, who they do try to fight through every pick. Fight, and, you
0: mean you say over or under? Over. Uh,
1: fight through, typically over. But, you know, they're, they're trying to keep that matchup regardless.
0: Okay.
1: And And we are trying – our goal for our picker on offense is to not get the full body, but to do just what you said. Yeah. Try to get a, just try to get a piece of them, chip them. So now puts the off ball defender in a confusing state of, all right, did my teammate get around that enough? Cause, right. If it's, if my teammates runs smash into that pick, I got to switch, obviously. Right. But if my teammate sort of gets around it, but he's trailing it a bit. Yeah. What do I do here? Yeah. No, it's, it, yeah. We, we, we certainly aim for that when we play certain teams who, uh, who teach that just, just get above get through that pick no matter what, or act like you're getting it through. And if you get picked off, you get picked off and we'll switch for you.
0: It's um, a little bit more uh-huh. on the, on the Dodger than the picker. The picker needs to set it in the right spot, but you don't want to overset it. Cause if you overset it, then you're going to get run into it. You're going to give them the under. Obviously if you if you really underset it, they'll miss, but, but the, the onus is more on once the, it's a little bit more on the Dodger himself, who actually needs to not go shoulder to shoulder you're, you're basically trying to take your man to a point where you've got a straight line and they've got a right angle and you're going to invite them to follow you. I call it inviting somebody over a pick. And yeah, i you, know, I've, you
1: paid, and I've done that. And I, I like what you do with that. You, you do put the onus on the Dodger, you know, you know, to, to, to initially dodge into the defender or, you know, engage with him in a certain way where you're inviting him to come over the pick, you know, almost like looking like a little bit of a wounded animal in other ways, you know, and or, get him or, to come out you're to
0: taking you. an angle that seems wide of the pick and you're giving him daylight to get through it. But because you got the step, because you didn't project where you were going and the, the race begins when you wanted to, you can take an angle that's outside the pick, gives the guy the feeling that he can get over this pick. But now all of a sudden, if you press pause on the video, you'll see that the Dodger at one point has a straight line in the middle and the defender is has a right angle around the pick. Yeah. Due to why would that be? Well, because they actually have to guard, you know, if you're on the wing, they actually have to guard you, you know, towards the net. You know, they got to guard you in a direction that's not towards the pick. So you can keep them honest there. Yeah. They got to guard you to the goal and the pick is not set, you know. So it's really really interesting stuff though. And then that's why I think, you know, you your your focus on working on the two man stuff so much is so key because it's going to be happening more and more. And I think the way the game's going to go, it's not, you know, now it's kind of like it's it's more of like, let's try to create offense off this two-man game. And the way I kind of look at it is just keep doing it. And if you know what you're doing, you're gonna get advantages. And the advantages are if you go under, I'm gonna shoot. If you go over, I'm gonna invite you over. If you switch, we're gonna slip and move the ball. Meaning by yep. swinging swing it over and swing it back, and you want to go under picks, you're gonna be going, you're gonna be picking me up at the hashes and going under a pick. I'm gonna slow down, I'm gonna adjust my pick, make you go farther under it, and I'm just gonna shoot.
1: Exactly. No, that, that, that makes sense. And I, I do want the, the listeners know ooh, the complexity that we're dealing with our def- defense and p- set of dealing with picks. We're not asking of our offensive middies or our attackmen who are stuck on defense for those rare times they are. You know, they, they've got one thing to do, <laughs> you know, so this is just the complexity comes from the guys who are committed to playing defense.
0: Or you could just do a fed. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We call it Bison for the Bucknell Bison. Just run out of the game and give them a 6 5 for five seconds and, and, uh, hopefully you don't get it burned.
0: I wanna, I wanna, um, go back to a comment you made about like, you know, we don't play enough basketball anymore. You know, people don't play enough, your players, your recruits, particularly high level basketball like varsity basketball. And I just wanna ask you, do you think it matters if it's varsity basketball or pickup? I mean, I think I learned how to play picks pretty well because I played a lot of two on two and three on three with you. And it's actually the quick processing of how you're going to play it and understanding, should I push out on somebody or get under and just the feeling and the, and the presence of mind of what's happening in the quick thinking, those reps, I think um, might matter um, more than, you know, than quite yeah. totally the level of play.
1: Yeah, no, I, I will, I will back down. I, I, I completely see your, <laughs> your point, I guess. So I'll just, that's my free play.
0: Push. That's my free play push. No, no,
1: I get it. I guess, I was thinking in a different context. I was thinking about if you and your your couple of buddies are out there shooting, playing horse or pig. Um, yeah, but I do okay. I do That's agree. Like, yeah, you know, and even old man basketball. You know, no if doubt. I'm out there, if I'm out there with you or Paul Canobine or Joe Bresci, guys who just they're they're gonna win that pickup hoops game no like doubt. it's the Super Bowl. You know, yeah, then it's it doesn't the communication, matter. Though. Exactly,
0: it's the communication. Like when you go watch, you know, like all the guys you just mentioned uh, are way past our prime, but. But the, <laughs> the younger guys that are still in their prime that are coaches, they communicate like crazy on everything. Yes. And, and it's like that, but that's the fluency of the game. And you're getting you're actually getting legitimate reps at that when you're when you're playing. It's kind of why I like I love the, you know, I sent you my um pickup games of 2021 video, which is yeah, that was video. a cool video. But so much of it, there's a lot of defensemen that are just like, well, I don't know, that's not really good for me. I mean, you're you literally play so many picks, you know. I've got you know, my daughters are really good at like communicating, like, Hey, pick up a left, switch it, you know, stay, push yeah. out. <laughs> they actually say it because they can see it and they've done it a gazillion times and it's actually just processing. Um, and the fact that it happens a little bit slower there is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because it's, it's still kind of the same concept.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It, it's, it's awesome. And I can remember, you know, and we've said this before on my podcast, but I'll say it again, in a, a recruiting defensemen you know, how do you assess and evaluate, uh, you know, the one great thing would be to watch them play three V three or five V five pickup basketball when they're on their visit here.
0: Oh, wouldn't you
1: know, that be? I I'm not sure it's allowable, but, uh, um, but well, at least need watching, but, uh, just, you know, uh, maybe if they had film, you want know, to defensive, you know, should come into Virginia, send, send some film of, uh, <laughs> you know, you playing basketball, whether it's on the varsity or just pickup, if it's intense, but yeah. How do you deal with picks and communicate with picks? Uh, it's such an integral part of what we're trying to do and uh, having that comprehension of team defense. um, So, so critical.
0: You know what I I think you could do to evaluate recruits that would be legal, that would be kind of similar, make them drive you somewhere. Drive me. (laughs) (laughs) Just watch, you know, ever drive with somebody, you're like, Oh my God, like go, you know, like, you know, they're just, some people are just what you know when you're sitting behind somebody and they're stopped at a merge lane and you're like, dude, it's a merge lane. You can't stop at yeah, right, right, right. go and the merge. <laughs> or you're sitting behind someone who's like, you know, turning left and they're right at the stop line and, and the thing turns yellow and then they go and they leave you behind when they could have pulled into the intersection a little bit and let you go. I yeah. don't know. I just think there's things about reading driving that uh, you know, are comparable to competitiveness and uh and fluency and seeing the field. Although these young drivers are maybe not fair to judge them when they're like 18 than when they're like in their thirties.
1: Yeah, no, some but, spatial some spatial intelligence is really important. You know, what we do a lot of, and I've probably told this before, is we put them on the chalkboard, you know, and I, um, AKA grease board now, you know, just spend 25, 30 minutes. Um, I've learned I can't be too critical because most guys don't do well at all. <laughs> On the grease boards, I am amazed at how bad it is. Um, and uh, but that's that's where I'm starting to you know get an early test of spatial intelligence of how well they do on the board. You know, I'll put up, you know, whether it's a two-two-two offensive set or one three two, one four-one. All right, let's talk about slides, let's talk about the offense pops here, sets a pick here. You know, what are some defense? What do the defense need to talk about? What are some things that you guys do with your school? um all right let's say it's an invert are we staying with our base defense are we going to think about getting into some sort of uh invert zone a temporary zone um you know and i don't expect them to be at, at, at a really high level but I just want to see how they're thinking through it it's almost like the interview question when you're trying to get that job on wall street you know i don't, I don't care if you know the exact answer the number of gas stations there are in the country but i want to see how you logically think through this you know and how you come up with your answer um and um yeah. So that, that's, that's been helpful for me.
0: I love it. Well, LT, I always love talking lacrosse with you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Good luck. And I uh, can't wait to yeah. be watching you on TV and um, we got to do some more lacrosse conversations sometime.
1: Let's do it, man. I've, uh, I've grown so much talking to you. i got my, uh, my blank piece of paper. I got some notes now.
0: There you go. Set picks always. a little farther away. Set them like you're approaching a, a, an offensive player. <laughs>
1: I like it. I like it. And, uh, and talking about, you know, film and the, the more game-like is the less I blow my whistle.
0: <laughs> hey, good luck. Awesome to see you. And um, uh, love talking with
1: you. Yeah, love talking to you. Thanks, Jamie.
0: Bye, man. <laughs>